the restaurant industry is really old. And uh, a lot of people have been entrenched in their positioning for a long time. And so they make their margins off of the opacity of other people not knowing what's going on. Not knowing what's going on one way or another, whether it's what's happening, what's available, the pricing. Prices can change uh, multiple times a day for multiple products. Uh, and they don't really know because communication for it is too difficult because it happens so often and so so complicated that it's just not worth communicating. Uh, and those are the margin points that people really care about. So that's what we're doing in uh, communicating exactly what's happening when it's happening in real time. Welcome back to Winning at Work. It's season three, the podcast for the food and beverage and CPG world. I'm Jennifer Lee, Tony's new marketing sidekick and creative guru. I'll attempt to keep him on track as we discover the ideas and strategies behind all these different, better, and special brands. Oh, good luck keeping me on track, but I am really stoked to have you on the team, Jennifer. Your background in marketing and SEO and socials, we are going to have so much fun this year. We're going to be discovering the new brands here in 2023. It's all about functional, good-for-you lifestyle brands. Those are trending. Those are the products that are gaining market share and really pulling away from those old legacy brands. We're going to have each and every one of those brands down on the podcast to talk to us, to share their ideas, their inspiration, so you, the entrepreneur, so you, the food and beverage and CPG professional, can take these new ideas in and incorporate them into your business and into your life. Oh my gosh, Tony, I'm seriously so excited. I feel like I learn so much just from listening to older episodes. Well, that's why we're here. And if this is your first time here, I would recommend, look, go back, take the five episode challenge, pick a brand, pick a CEO, an entrepreneur, dive in, listen to what it is that they're teaching us. If you love the content, subscribe. We hope you're along with us for the journey each and every week. Hey, it's Jennifer. We get it. Everyone hates hiring. Inspired by his guests, Tony created a novel talent acquisition program that attracts the hidden candidate market, the 70% of people that are not actively applying to jobs. Click on the attract link in the show notes to watch a demo. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. It is Tony, and I wanted to dive into what's happening in the world of food tech. Right, I've I've spent a lot of time with with new brands, both in food and beverage. But I'm starting to notice notice and find some really interesting food tech companies. And today, I have David Mooseman. He's the CEO of Two Market. David, welcome in, my man. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. No, you're welcome. You're you're welcome. And uh, you know, you and I were just kind of chatting a little bit um, off air. And I I'm always curious how people get into the world of food especially former professional athletes. So for people who don't quite understand, maybe know all the details of your background, you played at Michigan and then you went into the NFL. You did play for the Cardinals. How did you, what was the transition for you into this crazy world of food? Why? Why would you do that? You just punished yourself in the NFL. Now you're coming to punish yourself in food and beverage. What is wrong? What is wrong? Yeah, everything. Uh, masochism, I think. Right. Uh, you know, I always say I, I left banging my head against a bunch of idiots to dive into kitchens working with different idiots. So it was, uh, 
exactly as you say, but um, the, the impetus, the uh, beginning was essentially in college. Uh, our school did this thing. It was silly, but it was great. Called a grid iron chef. And the university chefs came in to teach slash help uh, student athletes, the football players, uh, learn how to cook. And I was the only one who made anything that looked like food. Everyone else kind of just ate <laughs> salad and pasta and sauce along the bottom of the plate and took up every square inch. I put a little bit of verticality on there and some flavor and grill marks and all sorts of stuff. And they uh, said I could come work. So I did. Uh, I worked while I was training for the combine. I worked out and worked in the kitchens and uh, fell in love with it. So after brief stint in the NFL, I went over to Italy. Um, John Grisham actually wrote a book about my football team. It's called Playing for Pizza. Whoa, I know. I, this is news. Yeah. Playing for so Pizza? It's a really quick read. You'll love it. <clears throat> it was the team just the, uh, a couple years before me, but uh, it's about a guy, uh, about a quarterback who goes over to the Italy and they uh, give him some pizza and put him up and pay him a little bit of money and he plays football for him. And that's sort of what I did. I played and coached and uh, ate all over the country. It was great. Well, I bet. I mean, well, you were a lineman, so you guys, you know, you're not the 180-pound uh, wide receiver. You know, you got to – No, I was eating 13,000 calories a day. I was uh, bench pressing 500 pounds, squatting 700. That is uh, crazy. Okay, since you brought this up, I have to ask you, combine yeah. combine results, how many – reps of 225 were you able to push out i think i did 30 i think i got just uh man that is insane with 30 you, you were disappointed with 30 yeah I'm- i might have gotten just below it but um my my shoulder dislocated um my senior year so it yeah. uh it knocked me down a peg but wow for anybody who's ever done a bench bench press of 225 Good luck doing it once. Yeah, <laughs> David pounds. did it. David did it 30 times. Okay, so you you kind of discover your love of or an interest and ability, right, in this gridiron chef challenge that they had at the school, and that kind of introduced you into the world of food. So explain this point of sale app that you've created called Two Market. What is it? What does it do? Who who does it help? Yeah, because I I coached in Italy, I then coached in Brazil. Uh, I really ended my f- my football career there. I went to cook in um, Napa, California, and then Boston, San Francisco, Denver. And we saw the same problem is that farmers don't know how to find chefs and chefs don't have time to find farmers. And what this really comes down to is that nobody gets into this industry because they're passionate about paperwork. They really love their product. They uh, Then they have to go jump through all these hoops to figure out who has it or who wants it. And so what we've done is uh, created a tool for something they never had. Uh, Farmers and vendors had tools for uh, harvesting and planting and seeding and baking and brewing, but they didn't have any tools for taking orders. And so essentially what we've made is a POS system for them that integrates directly to an ordering platform for chefs. And so what we do for chefs is that we uh, digitize their uh, clipboard. And so essentially they have... Uh, all of the products that they need across all their menu in, uh, on paper. They go down and they jot it down if they have it or need it. And then they have to figure out who to call, text, phone, uh, voicemail, email. Um, 
It's like this big scramble, you know, to, to yeah. fill their basket of everything that they need. Yeah, exactly. Um, from multiple different places. Or you put all your eggs in one basket and many times that basket doesn't show up with all the eggs in it. So um, what we've done is we've diversified a chef's uh, supply chain by giving them access and putting all of their products all in one place. And um, we're starting with the data component to allow for seconds and show them who has what it is that they're looking for when their uh, main vendor doesn't deliver. Okay, got it. So that also gives them a backup. Yeah, exactly. So this sounds like a marketplace type of a business model where you have farmers on the one side and then you have chefs on the other. So when it comes to sales and marketing, you're really having to kind of work both sides. Yeah, no. No? Um, okay. Yeah, so we, explain that. We, yeah, no problem. Um, we've put in a significant amount of effort into making sure that this isn't chicken or the egg situation, that we can bring value just to one side, one time, uh, all at once. And so essentially, we go into one distributor and manage all of their ordering for them across all their buyers. And then we go into those buyers, they bring us to their buyers, and those buyers come on our platform and start placing all of their orders with us. So when you look at uh, building and expanding and trying to scale, what does that look like? How do you do that in this type of business? We are in Austin, Texas and Denver, and um, we're expanding into Boston as well. We've got one distributor and restaurant group in Boston. We've got a number of restaurant groups in Austin and um, almost a dozen here in Denver using our platform. And so what we do is we go and again, we provide one, we provide value to one side of the market and then they introduce us to the other side. And then we go and we prove our value to them by streamlining their ordering process one way or the other. So really there are no natural barriers for you. It's just a matter of you pick the, the right city, the right distributors or the right food groups that you want to work with that see value in this. Yeah, the only barriers that we have are... Um, I would say status quo. Um, okay, explain the, that. So that's obviously an yeah. The restaurant industry is the restaurant industry is really old, and uh, a lot of people have been entrenched in their positioning for a long time, and so they make their margins off of the opacity of other people not knowing what's going on, not knowing what's going on one way or another. Whether it's what's happening, what's available, the pricing, prices can change. Uh, multiple times a day for multiple products uh, and they don't really know because communication for it is too difficult because it happens so often and so so complicated that it's just not worth communicating uh, and those are the margin points that people really care about so that's what we're doing in uh, communicating exactly what's happening when it's happening in real time yeah so if companies can profit on ambiguity when you bring in transparency then you're almost seen at odds with them yeah, we, we, we're seeing a real shift in the industry at this point. I think that there's uh, a lot of, uh, there are tons and tons of acquisitions in the distribution space. They're just consolidating. And it makes it really, really difficult for the small guys to maintain their positioning. They don't have uh, the power. They don't have the resources. They don't have the tools. They don't have the know-how. And they don't have the time to look up from their day-to-day, minute-to-minute to uh, figure it out. So what we do is we bring a simple, easy transition into a uh, modern tool to help them do what they've been doing, faster, easier, more efficient, 
um, and to make everybody happier. Right. I mean, it makes sense. Of course, I'm in the business of technology and looking for ways to streamline and be more efficient. But to your point, you're, you are dealing with some old legacy systems. Yeah. One of, uh, one of the largest distributors uh, that we've seen uh, was still using DOS. And the other ones have their own servers. And Wait, don't tell me uh, they still had a green screen or something. Oh, yeah. They had blue screen. <laughs> I'm just crazy. imagining doing... one of those big clunky keyboards, you know, with the big. That's it. That's exactly what it is. I mean, they were running um, instances, you know, uh, so that on on a nicer computer, they had a the, the DOS running in the background. But, but still, they couldn't migrate away from it. Wow. Yeah. So I could see that's obviously a big obstacle. Any other major kind of challenges that, that you're facing as you kind of expand this technology kind of POS system? Um, as we go into new markets, we find uh, the same problems. People don't know what's happening. People don't know what to do. People don't know where to look for the tools that they need. And so the, the, the second biggest problem is, is that um, communication is so slow, which is the whole point. And so what we do is we bring expedited communication to these uh, really slow systems and uh, they're not used to it. And so it's a lot of text messages the relying on the old way uh, to bring uh, to to bring a new process. Well, you're obviously working at the on the front lines, so you must be seeing trends. What is happening right now in the world of either farming or in restaurants? What's happening right now? Yeah, so for the first time in uh, years, uh, restaurant spending, consumer restaurant spending, is outpacing grocery spending. And this is a big deal. It means that people are going back out there, are not as afraid, are wanting to uh, push what they have when they can. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a fundamental shift in demographics as far as millennials um, getting into positions of consumption. And um, also I think that it, it bodes really well for this looming, uh, recession that everybody keeps talking about to initiate a recession, whereas consumer spending is still high. People are still, um, <clears throat> it's whether it's unsustainable or a new norm, we'll see, but it's showing uh, consistent levels of supply chain needing to be, uh, to maximize efficiency. Well, and we're also seeing obviously the ready to eat market is exploding. And that's what you're really touching on too. I mean, obviously, uh, grocery stores have the ready to eat component, but if restaurants are outpacing, people are prioritizing ready to eat convenience experience over, you know, going in and, and preparing your own meals. Yeah, that's a big piece is that convenience is um, a big factor. And again, I think it just touches on a um, on a demographic shift for millennials to be able to understand and utilize those systems. Um, the, the older generations we see are sticking to um, traditional and con- traditional ways of doing things and not getting out of their process. Um, and just the overall statistics are showing that they are now the minority uh, in, uh, in a shifting landscape. 
So like, yeah, ready to eat meals are the bridge between going to uh, a restaurant and going and making your own food. I think it'll be interesting to see how many people transition from ready to eat meals into uh, grocery shopping and making their own food versus sort of like a dependency on ready to eat meals um, versus a dependency on restaurants. But uh, with continued transition into uh, metropolitan areas, it's um, only going to bolster the, the local restaurant scenes. As you grow, as you expand, you probably also look for fundraising and you look for ways to you know bring in investors, attract capital. What's been your experience? What advice do you have for people who are also finding themselves wanting a little more juice? Yeah, don't. Um, I would, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> my, don't. I would. Um, I've been. I've been here a while now, and I think the number one thing that I would that I've figured out if I had to do it over again is to get to a dollar as fast as possible. Um, the <clears throat> I can't think of a more speculative market than venture capital. I mean, yes, they all have their own methodologies and spreadsheets and it's all bullshit. Like never has someone found a a specific formula that works 100% of the time better than anybody else, better than feel, better than figuring it out, better than guessing, better than gambling. So it's the end of the day, but that's what it is. You're taking a long shot bet on a big, uh, on a big opportunity in the right team. And so um, people have been successful. I'm not going to say that, but we're seeing huge, huge um, uh, delta between the venture capital funds that are continuing to be successful and continuing to make bets and the, those that can't. Um, the capital is drying up. The, uh, the needs are greater and greater from a venture perspective. And again, it just goes back to if I would give some advice to any entrepreneur, I would say, uh, make a dollar as fast as possible, then try and make $2, then try and make dollar a month, dollar a week, dollar a day, a uh, dollar an hour, dollar a minute. And then you've got, you know, unicorn. The risk that they're trying to mitigate would probably lead to greater stakes in equity and greater dilution of what you're trying to create. How were they trying to assess the risk? With a licking their finger and sticking in the wind. <laughs> okay. Some of these guys are, are very successful and I, I understand the, the risks and mitigations and things behind, you know, needing a CTO. Then when we, you know, when you have a CTO, is it the right CTO or is it the right founder? I'm a first time founder. And uh, um, so many people said, well, you know, we don't bet on first time founders. And that's a, a good Okay, um, so they have a so they have a blueprint, so they stick yeah, with they it. They have so. the blueprint, but then you know, talk about the hot hand fallacy. Uh, assuming that one has made X number of shots and they're going to make this next one in a row, and I think that you'll see that there's a maybe a marginal uh, improvement over second time founders, but there's also just as many losses. Right. I mean, what's to say you didn't have a great idea your first time out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's to your point. It's kind of like a a rookie quarterback having a great year. I mean, it, it happens. Just as, it's just as uh, likely to happen as anyone else. Yeah. So it's got to be frustrating, you know, going out on the market. So, um, and I've heard this, that the capital, the funds are drying up right now. It is, it is definitely, it is a very challenging time. So I like your philosophy of get to your first dollar and then get down to a dollar, you know, keep going, make a dollar a minute. And now you've yeah. got a unicorn. Thanks. 
take it. It's all yours. It's a lot harder in execution than it is in, in verbalization, you know? But I like that. I like the way you kind of framed it up in a very practical way. So what are your kind of your plans for 2023? What do you want to kind of accomplish next? <clears throat> yeah, we're going to close this round. We're in conversations even with some uh, some of the, the elephants in the room for JB's partnerships or acquisitions. And uh, in closing this round, it'll really set us up to... Uh, further solidify our value and our positioning in the market. Um, we, just like many, many other tech companies, slimmed down, we focused our product, we focused our uh, direction, and we focused our team. And I think we're in the best position to uh, really get the most out of this year, just like you're asking. If someone was listening and they wanted to connect in and learn more about this POS system or possibly join it and be on one of those sides of the value chain. What's the best way for them to get connected and kind of start this, start this process with you, David? Yeah. Go to two market.com. Um, fill out the form. We'll be in touch. We are helping restaurants in, uh, 10 different States. Our platform works anywhere with anyone. Uh, if you got a problem and it's that Cisco isn't delivering, uh, you don't really know who to call ghostbusters or two market. It's ghost, <laughs> Ghostbusters. If it's food, it's supermarket. Yeah, well, good luck working with those Thanks. massive, massive distributors. I would think you would probably get a little more, uh, a little more activity with the midsize regionals, and I'm sure that that's kind of where you make your hay. We we have both. Um, we're integrated with the larger guys. Um, they love us because their customers have the best experience, and we're integrated with the smaller guys as well because uh, they don't have any tools. So we're there to uh, help them compete with the largest guys at a uh, at a really competitive price. Well, I love discovering new food tech. I think it's a great idea. So Thanks. go to uh, twomarket.com, check it out, and you can find David Mooseman on LinkedIn. We'll have all those linked in the show notes. David, good talking to you again, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Tony. You have a great one out there, okay? We'll talk to you soon. Can't wait.